You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident analyst, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Technical difficulties. Well, let me real quick start off by saying, um, if you're having a bad day, if you woke up like me um, with, once again, getting very little sleep and you're tired and crabby, blah, 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 um, just be glad that you're not hearing this. That's the sound that uh, the Ukrainians have been hearing for several hours now, as apparently there have been mortar shellings for hours and hours. Um, there's multiple videos of different shellings going on. Uh, I found a picture of a kindergarten that had a mortar ripped through the wall. So um, definitely some concern about uh, where things have escalated to at this point. I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know the um, intricacies of that situation. Uh, I'm not interested in having a discussion about who started what. All I know is that there are citizens who are scared to death about something happening. And um, there's at least very high probability that some ceasefires were just violated. Um, so I don't see that necessarily going very well. I know that there are um, there's a separatist region of Ukraine, and it's possible that this is between Ukraine and just that separatist region, but I'm also seeing reports that Russian artillery um, has been has been involved. So got a report here that I can see on Twitter. It says, it seems the Russian artillery can be heard even in Luhansk. No such thing uh, since very, very long, long time. Big guns working on the Ukrainian positions. So again, it's a Packers podcast. We're not going to hammer that out. And even if I wanted to, I couldn't because I don't know much about it. All I know is for whatever reason, there are citizens of a country, there are human beings that are going to be in for a bit of hell. And that sucks. So we're going to start the day off with some perspective, um, whatever it is we got going on. It ain't that. Out of curiosity, I went back and looked to see how popular my um, podcast is in Ukraine. One download in the last 90 days. So we're making progress, folks. Eastern Europe, not big NFL fans, apparently. It is actually kind of interesting. There, there is like a definitive line um, when you look at the numbers here between Eastern and Western Europe. If you look at Poland, nine downloads. You go across the border into Germany, 4,821. Back across the border to Czechia, two. I mean, it's a smaller country, but still. You go south to another small country that I believe is considered Western, Austria, 64. Slovenia, zero. Croatia, two. Um, Serbia, Serbia, 24. You know, Bulgaria, seven. But yeah, Germany, man. You can kind of understand. I mean, they're, they're the NFL and where they want to go with the um, the NFL, as far as expansion, I mean, it's 100% in line with what I'm seeing. You know where else actually has a lot of downloads? And I've talked about this. A lot of my patrons and things like that, um, surprisingly, Sweden. 
Sweden is is very high numbers in comparison to the rest of Europe. I mean, so you've got um, the UK forty two hundred, you got Germany forty eight hundred, um, and then all around there you've got single single digit hundreds, if that makes any sense. With the exception of Ireland, which um, got seven hundred and eighty three, which is relatively high for a very small island, but Sweden which is in between Norway with 210 downloads and Finland with 128. Sweden, 1,170. So I don't know what's going on in Sweden, but they're like, dude, NFL is freaking sweet. I will say, though, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little surprised that Canada is not having a slightly bigger push. And again, I, I get it because we're not breaking into a new region, but um, there really isn't even a close second when it comes to the downloads. Um, again, Germany with 4,800 is the biggest that I can find anywhere. Aside from Canada, which is 13,000. I feel like that would be a pretty easy expansion team there. Anyways, we're kind of off the rails here today. I'm just curious about that. While we're off the rails, we might as well stick off the rails for one more minute. Um, It is apparently officially official, although it's been officially official now that Aaron Rodgers and Shailene broke off their engagement, relationship, whatever. Um, I more or less just want to uh, say I told you so. A told so. I don't even know what that's worth. But um, again, it, it, it seemed relatively obvious to me. I didn't want to hammer it too much because, you know, first of all, a lot of people get mad when you talk about other people's relationships for some reason. I don't know why. I think only this part of it. A lot of people are obsessed with the relationship. And then if you mention that it stopped working. And look, if I didn't think it mattered, I probably wouldn't bring it up. But I think it does. I think it does factor in. There are details we know about the relationship. We know that part of his reasoning for wanting to get away from the NFL, potentially part of his reasoning for wanting to get away from Green Bay, was the lady that he was in a relationship with that he is no longer in a relationship with. I think that matters. Can I just say one other thing that's really surprising to me? Let's let's get political for one second here. I think Aaron Rodgers has always been a bit of an anomaly in terms of his politics. But if anything, he's always struck me as a center-left kind of a guy. You know, I mean, the only time we've ever really seen him in politics is when he was in, you know, standing up for people kneeling in the NFL, stuff like that. I mean, he's always been kind of centrist on that issue. He's never really been super diehard, but he was in support. And he said people that said you have to kneel or have to stand for the anthem or whatever are stupid. And, you know, what about the cameraman and all that stuff? You know, people in the concession stands, do they care, et cetera, et cetera? It seems odd to me that he gets into a relationship, right? Early in the season, everything seems to be going well. And then um, then there's some friction. And it seems like there's friction between Rodgers and the team, largely because of things that apparently have something to do with Shailene, but I'm not sure, right? Then there's a couple months that go by, and it's mostly speculation, and Rodgers isn't really talking to anybody. And when he does, he seems a little bit jaded toward the team. And then as the season rolls on, been with the team, starting to like the team, like Brian Gutekunst, like being in the locker room, like playing for the Packers, things are going well, he's having a great season. Suddenly he becomes sort of an (laughs) anti-leftist, which his girlfriend is a hardcore leftist. Again, we're we're just playing with conspiracies here. Sometimes we have fun with it. You know, have you ever um, either personally been in an argument with a significant other or seen somebody else do this where sometimes when you're in a fight, you just get so angry you decide to poke the bear? I have to assume Shailene was not happy about a lot of the stuff Aaron Rodgers was saying, but he felt all too happy saying it, didn't he? With a big old smile on his face. 
Just wonder if we were watching a little bit of a relational spat <laughs> and didn't realize it. I know it was reported that um, they just agree to disagree on certain issues. Bull. Come on. Oh, I'm sure they're just so grown up. And that's why their relationship is over. Anyways, the only reason that would matter is because if, if a lot of what he was saying and doing was at least in part um, to take shots, then you would assume there'd be less of it moving forward. I don't know. Just a thought. But if you were to ask me honestly, does this help make his decision? I think it does. I think either way he was leaning in this direction. But, you know, at the point that I said he was leaning in this direction, was the relationship basically almost over at that point anyways? It's entirely possible. I mean, look, it, this is a complete 180. But, I mean, let, let's, let's honestly think about this. This is a complete 180 from his stance on Brian Gutekunst and the organization. Do we really think this has to do with Randall Cobb? I'm, I'm sure they've had talks and it's been great talks and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to necessarily say that Aaron Rodgers is so gullible that he's just going to completely cut everybody off because of some woman in his life. But what else has changed? This supposedly giant contract that, you know, was offered in the offseason? <laughs> Unless it's a slightly higher highest paid quarterback contract. But again, that offer was on the table before. What changed? Just asking. Ukrainian president is headed to the front lines. Dude, what are you doing? Anyways, I want to touch on something that I kind of um, tabled a long time ago. I, I talked about it, and then I was like, yeah, but it's the Super Bowl, so we should probably talk about that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you can kind of hammer this in a couple different directions. We've been talking a little bit about the Rams and their success and what caused it, and obviously you've got the um, not-so-deep thinkers who like to just say, well, it was all in. They went all in. Nobody else went all in. If you go all in, you win. Bing, bang, boom. Um, we're not going to... Um, we're not going to do that here. Doesn't really make for an interesting discussion when you just say silly things. But I want to talk about special teams. As not interesting as that is, there, there is sort of a question of what makes it better, right? Because, you know, everybody's talking about our new hire and that's just magically going to fix everything. Okay, maybe. And as I said, it probably raises the floor. You're not going to have um, the sort of mistakes that we had. Very simple things. Having the right number of people on the field kind of raises that level of the floor. But I don't know that that just automatically fixes everything. And then I thought, well, what is going to make this team better? And so I wanted to look at a couple different special teams units. And there are some major differences between the way that Pro Football Outsiders and PFF ranks uh, special teams. Um, there was some overlap, but for the most part, I mean, there, there are some units. For example, I think Seattle, I don't remember which one's which, but one of them said, think DVOA had Seattle as a really, really good special teams unit and PFF had them as like the worst. So I don't exactly know. I, I, what I think it is, is they, they just have different ways of, of gauging things. So DVOA is going to look at production. Kind of irrelevant, but it's somewhat interesting, so we'll talk about it for one second. So if you look at things like expected points added, you look at where the, the ball was kicked and where the ball ended up. It's how much did your special teams help your team win? You know, you kicked the field goal, you know, the, the yardage that you got on the return, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas PFF is looking at the players and how well the players executed. So you can have a situation where you have a bunch of players not executing, and so you get an accumulation of bad grades. But let's say you have a really good returner who can compensate for that, so you get a really big return despite some bad blocking. Well, PFF is going to look at the, the returner and get a good grade, but everybody else is going to get bad grades. That's going to add up to being a bad overall unit, whereas DVOA is completely blind to that because they're not looking at the players at all. They're not grading individual players. They're looking at the result of what happened. So um, 
again, it's, it's kind of important to know what you're looking at. Like I've said before, when you look at statistics or grades or any of that kind of stuff, to really parse that out, it's not even necessarily that one is right or wrong. It's that they both do things differently. And if you understand what they're doing and why they're doing it, you can kind of decide which makes more sense. So if you want to look at the players and which one has better special teams players, assuming you, you believe in the PFF grading system, PFF's the way to go. If you want to look at which special teams unit better helped their team, you probably want to lean more on DVOA. But either way, there was one team that both PFF and Pro Football Outsiders, or Football Outsiders, I should say, I always get, you got Pro Football Reference, Pro pro Football Focus, Football Outsiders, I don't know. Anyways, um, they agree very, very heavily on what they both said was the second best special teams unit, and that is the New York Jets. What else is really, really interesting about the New York Jets is that they both also agree that last year, or the year prior, however, you know, 2020, the New York Jets special teams was garbage. So they went, by one account, from 29th overall to second overall. And so the question is, what the heck did they do? Because that's what we want to do. The first question is, did they hire a new special teams coach? And the answer is no. He joined the Jets in 2016, so he's been there a long time. But let's look at the individual components that made the team better to get an idea of what it is that's going to make this team better. Because ultimately what it is, at the end of the day, is going to come down at least to some degree to players. Again, if you want to move from dead last, 32nd, to like 29th, you could probably do that with a special teams coach. That's probably good enough. Just clean up around the edges a little bit. Prevent complete, eminent, imminent, eminent disaster. But let's look at the individual units and components of those units. How about kicker? They had three different field goal kickers that year. The best was the guy that was used the least. He played in one game, kicked zero field goals and two extra points, made them both, so he had a 62 overall grade. That's the only reason Chase McLaughlin was as good as he was. Um, The next highest graded kicker was Sam Ficken. Frickin Ficken. He played in nine games. Um, he was 12 of 15 on extra points, so only 80% of his extra points he made, and he was 13 of 15 of his field goals, basically hitting everything except the 50 yarders. He was uh, one of three, but he had a 47 overall grade. Why? Because he missed a bunch of his extra points. Then finally, in six games, they had Sergio Castillo. Uh, Castillo had a 29.6 overall grade. He was six of seven on extra points, and he was eight of 13 on field goals. In 2021, they still had some issues. Uh, Matt Amendola um, hit 14 of 15 extra points and 13 of 19 field goals. 0 for 3 on 50 yarders, 2 of 5 on 40 to 49 yarders. But they finally settled on Eddie Pinheiro. I don't know if this is their long-term solution, but at least they got some stability there. 9 of 10 on extra points and 8 of 8 of field goals, including two 20-yarders, two 30-yarders, three 40-yarders, and a 50-yarder. And that was how they ended the season. He, he came in from uh, weeks 14 through 18. So, all right, they, they stabilized the kicker a little bit, but it doesn't seem like that was a massive improvement for the New York Jets. What about punting? By the way, they did get a new kicker, and that did improve. Punting. Braden Mann in 2020 with a 64 overall grade. 43.9 yards per attempt. 4.39 hang time. In 2021, they replace him. They've had a couple different guys. Braden Mann is there for a while, but end up with Thomas Morstead. Morstead seems to be a little bit more the right speed. 73.5 overall grade, 43 net, 48.2 yards per attempt, 432 
is the guy's hang time. Now, I should probably be comparing this to what we have currently. Um, it's really hard to kind of gauge all this. Again, I don't really like the punting stats, and I'm not sure how much better the grades are, but it's it's the best thing I can think to use that's somewhat comprehensive. Corey Bajorquez has had a 62 overall grade. Braden Mann last year, 64.4. They upgraded in 2021 with a new punter that had a 73.5 overall grade. Maybe we don't need to do that. We obviously got this guy because he's really talented and we really like him and maybe a better special teams coach can help the operation. Maybe some of the negative for Corey had to do with the snapping and just how, you know, where it was placed and the fact that there was no blocking and there was guys in his face and he had to get it off quicker and I, whatever. Maybe clean up the operation and that improves. But the point is there was improvement with punting. That did factor into them going from 29th to 2nd. As far as returns, this is another area where there was some um, big, well, returns. Oh boy. Smoke can be seen coming out of the Russian embassy in Kiev. So that that's a thing. In 2020, and they still had a lot of the same guys, but Braxton Berrios is kind of the big star over there. Um, he did some of the kickoff return. He had 18.6 yards per return. That's not very good. Again, remember with kickoffs, you're trying to get back to the 25. If you can't, you need to just be taking a knee whenever possible. 18 yards is garbage. Um, he's primarily the punt returner though. He had 10 returns, 86 yards, for an average of 8.6 yards per attempt. Also not super special. His longest for the entire year was 18 yards. Corey Ballantine was the primary kickoff returner. He was averaging 26.2, so that's pretty solid. They also shuffled kick returns by a billion different people. Josh Malone, um, seven returns, uh, averaging 20 yards per return. Yeah, Daniel Brown, Jamison Crowder, uh, one, two, three, four, five other guys. Right, 2021, however, you had uh, Braxton Berrios was your primary returner on kickoff and punt return, and he was killing it on both. So this is a major upgrade here. And again, it's the same guy. And it's also the same special teams coach. So the biggest problem that we're going to have here is that everything that we're looking at crushes basically every narrative that exists. And we've got one more that's coming. Just ignore the doorbell sound. That's, um, That's just news coming in. But ignoring everybody else that had any returns, Braxton Berrios, 28 kick returns. Uh, his longest was 102 yards, including obviously a touchdown, but his average was 30.4 yards per attempt on 28 attempts. Even with that 102-yarder, which obviously factors in, we're talking 28 returns. So you're, you're, not, um, you're not sitting at 18 yards with a 102-yarder. And uh, let me just turn the volume down so you can't hear that anymore. Uh, and then as a punt returner, 15 returns, only two other guys took punt returns. He averaged 13.4 yards per return. So he went from 8.6 to 13.4. Let me tell you, 13 yards every time somebody punts is pretty massive. I mean, just imagine a punt going to the 30-yard line and you get it up to the 45-ish. In contrast, um, our primary punt returner, Amari Rogers, returned it eight yards per return. David Moore um, had three and averaged 11 yards per return, and everybody lost their freaking minds. That was 11 yards. Our primary kick returner, uh, Amari Rogers, 18.9 yards. Kylan Hill was secondary, 19.9. Malik Taylor, 19.4. So in general, none of them could even get to 20 yards. Uh, the only other guy with more than one return was Aaron Jones. He was at 9.5. So none of our guys could really pull it off. The only guy that graded out well was David Moore, and that was on his three punt returns. So the entire unit is no good, but, but again, and I'm not saying we don't need to find somebody else because we probably do, but we have, we seem to have a lot of answers, um, 
And those answers generally seem to be, let's just throw everything out and redo everything. Let's just go get guys that are really, really good at everything. And again, the, the biggest problem with that is there is a limit to the amount of people you can have on your football team. And you are not going to throw away starters and contributors to your offense and defense so that you can have a fully uh, stocked special teams. Just for your reference, there were 61 Green Bay Packers that played on special teams. So you will not be able to hire a staff of just special teamers. 47 of them were at least getting double-digit snaps. So not like just onesie-twosie. So the point is, we did get a new special teams coach. Cool. We're not going to entirely, we, to, to some degree we can revamp, but we're not going to entirely replace everybody. We're not going to just throw out the long snapper, the punter, the kicker, and all 47 of these special teamers with the exception of you know the, the handful of guys that graded out well. And by handful, I literally mean five. Um, that's assuming you count uh, Devondre Campbell with his eight snaps. If not, four. And you probably shouldn't because I didn't count Sean Davis who played one game, nine snaps. So we're talking about four guys that played semi-regularly that graded out well. You're not adding 40 new guys that are better on special teams. The good news is you don't necessarily have to. In 2020, the New York Jets uh, had 69 players that were on special teams. They had 11 with 70 or higher overall grades. Again, some of these are onesie-twosie. Um, in terms of double-digit snaps, at least 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 of them, 10 of the 11. In terms of triple-digit snaps, in other words, basically full-timers, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 of them. In 2021, guys with 70 or higher overall grades, they went up to 19 in total. All 19 had at least double-digit snaps. That's in comparison to the 10 the previous year, so basically double. How many had triple-digit snaps? 10. So that, again, is double. So they doubled the amount of players that performed at a high level on special teams. Again, that number is catastrophically low for the Packers, where you're talking about 1, 2, 3, 4 with double digits, 3 with triple digits. Those three, by the way, Oren Burks, TJ Slayton, and Henry Black. Razul Douglas is the only additional guy with double digits. Um, And again, he's basically a full-timer. He just came to the party late. He was at 90 snaps. If he was there all season, he would have been a full-timer. But here's the other really interesting part about this. And and I I talked about this before, too. We kind of went over some numbers in terms of starters and uh, looked at, I think it was the Saints, and how they don't really play a lot more starters on special teams than we do. It was a little bit more, but there really wasn't that big of a difference. If you look at the New York Jets and all the guys that are performing at a really high level, there is only... you know, how you quantify what a starter is, is kind of debatable, right? How many snaps do you have to play on offense? Um, What if you are injured or or however that all works out? How many of their really good players are starters? Of the 19 that I counted with a 70 overall grade, there's only really one that I can think of that would be considered a starter. And that is linebacker Quincy Williams. And he's a terrible linebacker. He's basically like Oren Burks, except, you know, he actually plays. 44 overall grade as a linebacker, played 881 snaps. But the point is, this is your only real starter on special teams that's actually contributing, that is actually any good. So, you know, there's a lot of people that want to talk about how we can fix special teams. And it's going to be, we're going to go out and get a bunch of new guys and go get a bunch of of new returners and and a new kicker and a new long snapper and a new special teams coach and a new assistant special teams coach and basically just throw everything out and rebuild and get a new, that isn't going to happen. First of all, it can't happen. Again, you just, just numerically, it's impossible. You have, to, you have to use from the roster that you have. 
how many guys are going to get thrown out because they're bad special teams players and replaced with different guys because they're maybe good special teams players? Unless you're talking about a returner, maybe, and even that is, is something that the Packers have a hard time sticking with. If they have a guy that's a decent enough returner or gunner, but they're not contributing on offense or defense, generally the Packers are wanting to move away from them. So that's not really going to happen. So what we're going to have is, it's not going to necessarily be, let's just play more starters. It's not going to be, we're going to get all new players. It's either going to be, these guys are going to play better. Maybe we'll add one or two pieces. We'll probably get a new kicker, which may very well be worse before it gets better. Very rarely do I see a team get rid of a kicker and they get a better kicker after that. Usually they flounder in kicking misery for years. Bears, Vikings, etc., etc. They're going out getting, you know, Pinheiro and a bunch of other, you know, guys that aren't really panning out, but we got to do something. Unfortunately for the the idealists and everything else, um, what we have is what we have. And, and what we've done is we've added a guy that um, really didn't do a very good job with the Raiders special teams. This was his worst stint as a special teams guy was when he was with the Raiders. And so there, there is no magic pill. There is no reason to believe that this is going to be uh, magically turned around. It does happen. But again, explain the Jets turnaround. They didn't really add anybody. They got the same returner. He just got better. They got a lot of the same guys. Almost none of them are starters. They just started playing better. For example, Quincy Wilson, the guy that I just mentioned, who was the only real starter that played well in 2020. You know what his PFF grade was on special teams? By the way, he played 10 snaps, but it was a 49 overall grade. He probably didn't play much because he sucked at it. He just got better. And then they were like, this guy's pretty good. Let's play him on special teams more. And that was it. So what's the magic pill? Well, you, you got to make your field goals and you got to punt better and you got to return better and you got to execute with all the other operations. And if you do that, you can go from 29th to 2nd. If you don't, you can't. <laughs> Has this been a waste of everyone's time or what? But again, it just goes back to what everybody wants is an answer. I want a definitive answer. Why didn't we win the Super Bowl? Why was our special teams bad? Well, I, I'm going to come up with some answers. It was because our special teams coordinator was terrible, and if we get a good one, we're fixed. It was because Amari Rogers is a bad returner. We get a better returner, it's fixed. It's because our long snapper is garbage, and if we get a better one, it's fixed. We just need to throw everybody out and get new guys, and everything's better. I fixed it. I did it. I'm a genius. Maybe. Certainly some guys need to be replaced. I think the special teams coordinator was proving to be completely inept. But again, that just raises the floor. It doesn't make us the best special teams unit in football. What does that make us? Well, probably anywhere from 1st to 25th. Doesn't really narrow it down very much. So unfortunately, this little case study has proven that the, the, the biggest way to improve something, at least as far as on special teams, is probably true of offense and defense to, to a large degree, is to um, start playing better. <laughs> That's it. I mean, I, we've seen that. Look at our defense. How many new players did we get on defense when we, when we started to improve? Even if you look at from 2018 to 2019, clearly there were some differences. But a lot of the guys were the same and just started playing better. Aaron Rodgers, for example. Devontae Adams has been getting better. David Bakhtiari. These, these are guys that were good, but they're certainly better than they were in 2018. So yes, we did add new players, and that was a pretty key component, and that's kind of a tough, I mean, we're, we're talking about a minor transition, so Gutekunst kind of gutted the roster and, and rebuilt it, but if you look at the guys that were already here, they also started playing better. And the fact of the matter is, as much as we can credit Brian Gutekunst, and we can credit him a good amount for this, if the team didn't change culturally, let's just say on offense, if Aaron Rodgers didn't improve, the locker room didn't improve, it was the same kind of blase, you know, again, that the, the Go back to 2018, they'd score a touchdown and just walk to the sideline, no celebrating. Just a dead culture. 
we're not seeing 13 win seasons. So I think that's the biggest thing and where it needs to start with this special teams coordinator is building a different culture. Then you can start evaluating talent. You can start looking at the roster and saying, you know, we probably should have played this guy more. Probably shouldn't have had this guy here. As far as the operation, we, we shouldn't be lining up these guys like this. We should be doing this. Shouldn't have guys like Dean Lowry blocking over here. That was a stupid decision. We definitely need a new long snapper. Again, let him decide the couple things where it's like, this is unsalvageable. He's got to go. We need somebody else. Talk to, to Goody and the staff and say, look, uh, you know, we, we can try it in the in the draft, and that's cool, and I'll help you with that as well. We can look at some of those guys. But also, we should probably be looking at free agents, because if we don't get a long snapper, we're in trouble. Here's how we can clean up this operation, this, 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 this. But again, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is the guys that we have need to play better. That's good. That has to be 90% of it. If you can add in a better long snapper and a better returner, awesome. But the other 70 players that are out there, they're not getting replaced. They have to play better. We can't have four guys that are capable on special teams. That's not a thing that can happen. It's kind of terrible. Anyways, we're, um, we're getting some confirmation here. It sounds like all the rumors about the Rams kind of retiring is just out the window at this point. Um, Aaron Donald, during the parade or whatever, was hoisting Lombardi Trophy and made some kind of a comment about uh, how about we run it back one more year. It sounds like they're going to do a Tampa Bay thing. They're going to try to, to push everything. I mean, and it's the Rams, so they have no issue doing it. They, they know that this is a short-term proposition. They know that there's a bunch of guys considering retirement. They know that their financial situation and everything else is not great. So continuing to um, push money out to run it back entirely one more year, I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with that. So Aaron Donald has come out and is like, let's do it again. Uh, just five hours ago, so apparently at like midnight, Sean McVay's fiance posted on Instagram um, a picture of Sean McVay chilling on the couch, drinking some red wine with a caption that says, and no, he is not retiring. So McVay is going to be back. Aaron Donald sounds like he wants to come back. Um, Whitworth did say that he would retire, I think, if they won the Super Bowl, or at least he was strongly considering that. But could he be talked into, come on, man, let's do it one more time. Let's go back to back one more year. I'm thinking they might be able to talk him into that. Stafford certainly would have no issue doing that again. I'm sure Cooper Cup is going nowhere. So we might have our first legitimate contender in terms of, of uh, 2022. Again, I, I, you know, the Rams were never really a powerhouse. We beat the Rams. I mean, it, it's not like Tampa when Tampa was at their apex. It's not like the 49ers when the 49ers are at their apex. It's not even like the Bears when they were at their apex in 2018 where, you know, I mean, the offense wasn't good, but the defense was just like, man, this is an unbelievably elite, stingy defense. I just don't see the Rams in that way. Not to say that they couldn't get to that point, but I don't think that they're at that point. Um, but it's the first team that certainly was good enough to win a Super Bowl, got hot at the right time, et cetera, et cetera. They've got some great pieces. They've got some things that are that are kind of scary. And I do think some of those things probably have to go away. I don't know if Odell Beckham comes back, especially now that he's got an injury lingering and everything else. And I think it was overinflated how much of a contributor he was because it's Odell Beckham. Um, guys like Von Miller, I don't know if he's going to stick around, but you know, if they leave, they'll just, they'll continue doing what they always do and find different guys. Uh, pro football talk just posted an article at four o'clock in the morning about Andrew Whitworth, which is kind of interesting, but anyways, it's apparently the dude is 41 years old and it's still unclear whether he's coming back or not, but he made some kind of a statement about how, how uh, special this is and everything else. So something to keep an eye on, but it does sound like the Rams are, um, running it back. Anyways, we got to take a break, come back on the other side. I don't have a ton of time, so we'll probably have to keep it kind of short, but got to take a break sometime. 
Don't forget to head over to my Twitter. Check out the pinned tweet. That's where you can find uh, Drew's GoFundMe. Help him to get his seizure service dog. If you're able to help, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, head over to amodernfrontier.com and get you a box of meat. Don't forget to use promo code MEATPACKER, all, all caps, one word, etc., etc. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. It's kind of, it's probably not even worth mentioning, but I, but I had a thought. It's not even necessarily a clarification, but it's an additional thought. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, I wish I'd have thought of that when I was talking about it. I was talking about how Packer fans are going to fight no matter what. There might be one way out of it. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not even saying I want it to happen because I don't. It would be the absolute worst case scenario, but it's worth adding. I said that the Packer fans, no matter what, if he comes back, you're going to have the, we should have traded him contingent that are going to be angry no matter what. And if he, if he gets traded, again, I don't think that'll happen, but if he gets traded, you'll have the, you bunch of idiots thought we should have got rid of Rodgers. Now look how bad we are, crew. And it's just, it's never going to end. Years and years and years we're going to be dealing with it. Unless, of course, again, the Packers win the Super Bowl because that's when trolls just kind of shut up and, um, again, whatever. But there is one potential way out of this, and that is Rodgers' retirement. If Rodgers does retire, and, and listen, it doesn't even have to be this year. If he comes back and then retires, well, no, then you're still going to have people mad because, look, he retired and we didn't get anything from him. But if he retires this year, Maybe you'll have some people saying we should have traded him last year because we didn't win anyways and we could have got a huge haul of picks in the offseason. But I think for the most part, all of us will kind of say collectively, oh, shucks, we get nothing out of this, but we can clear up the cap a little bit and kind of go in that direction. And then it's just kind of all in on finding a quarterback. You're still going to have some fighting about Jordan Love. And maybe the best case scenario, and again, this isn't really best case for the team. I'm just trying to figure out best case for the fan base not ripping itself to shreds and having to hear complaining and whining and trolling all day long. Either Jordan Love is elite and then eventually people just get over it and move on. Occasionally some receipts get pulled um, because, I mean, let's be honest, you guys have been pretty insufferable about Jordan Love. So if he's good, you're going to have some receipts pulled and that's just the way it's going to be. But again, the the, the positive trolling is never going to be as severe and it, it'll just kind of get let go because there won't be any fighting. That's, I think that's a big part of it. No, nobody's going to fight back. They're just going to run and hide. But if it doesn't work with Jordan, you're talking about in 2023, a relatively high pick 
and a team that is motivated to find a quarterback. And so the 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 fan base in general is going to be united on the idea of we need to find the next quarterback of the future and getting excited about it and kind of going through what the Bears went through with Justin Fields, which is we find a guy, we get him hyped up, we talk about how great he is, and we defend him to the death. You're going to have Bears fans, Vikings fans, everybody else talking about this guy is terrible, he's a joke, and we get to to defend the guy collectively. And of course, there's going to be some detractors and saying that's not the right guy or whatever, but it doesn't matter. Overall, Packer fans are going to be rooting for this person to be the quarterback. That's the only real path I can see. And it's a completely horrible, it is the worst possible path, which is why I wish people could just acknowledge that um, there are no good solutions, but of the good solutions, they include trading Rodgers or Rodgers coming back. Those are the only good solutions. It may not even be the, the best, but it is one of two good solutions. We either get the MVP quarterback coming back. In other words, let's try to be glass half full instead of glass half empty, because in both cases, it's a half full cup. We're either going to load up on a bunch of picks and free up some money, or we're going to get a two-time MVP coming back to run it back. Talk about first world NFL problems. Oh, woe is us. <laughs> what a horrible situation we're in as Jaguars fans look on in disgust at us. By the way, it is worth noting there are some, um, some prospects here. It's entirely too early to say definitively that there's going to be some great quarterbacks, but it certainly seems to be a stronger class. Even even if you go back a year ago and look at the 2022 quarterback class, you kind of had Sam Howell going real early. And I even I could look at PFF and say, yeah, that dude ain't going to go early at all. He's not very good. But there was no hype really for anybody else. Occasionally this, that, or the other. But it wasn't like one of those things where number one, number two are quarterbacks. And then there's a guy at like seven. And then there's a guy at 13 like we've had in, in previous years. Um, this has always been seen as kind of a weaker class. 2023, though, you've got Bryce Young out of Alabama, absolutely blew up in 2021, 92.4 overall grade, 4,860 yards, 47 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. He is right now considered the consensus number two overall pick in 2023. You've got the Ohio State quarterback, C.J. Stroud, with a 92.5 overall grade, 4,400 yards, 44 touchdowns, and 6 interceptions, considered the consensus number three overall pick. You got a couple other guys that have some potential. For example, Spencer Rattler, who was considered a um, a high end prospect for this draft before he decided to um, transfer. Three very good years at Oklahoma. He is going to go over to South Carolina and try his hand over there. But um, you've also got a couple other guys that could potentially kind of you know go up and down the boards, etc. But point is, there's at least some guys that we can get excited about. I know we're way ahead of ourselves and all that, but the, 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 I'm just painting the only real picture in which I can see Packer fans just getting really excited about the future of Green Bay, because right now it's just a lot of complaining, and I don't really see that getting better. And I think if Aaron Rodgers stays, it, that element, not saying that it's the worst decision, because how Packer fans feel is kind of irrelevant to what the right decision is for the Green Bay Packers, but I feel like Aaron Rodgers coming back is probably the worst for the fan base. Because you're going to have the fighting, no matter what. Probably won't have a Super Bowl. Maybe. I mean, we, we have better odds than most teams, that's true, but it's still less than 50%, right? And we get to continue to fight about Jordan Love. If he stays on the team, then there's going to be continued angst and anger about Jordan Love. And every time he throws a pass, it's going to be scrutinized and, and ridiculed and mocked. And if he ever ends up getting traded, then it's just going to be a complete and utter barrage of just, just insufferableness. And then at the end of the day, Rodgers is still going to leave, and it's probably going to leave on his own terms in terms of retirement, meaning we're going to get nothing for him. And if we do end up trading him at some point, which seems unlikely, um, assuming, again, he decides to come back, this is the only place he's going to want to play, 
it's not going to be for very much because in three years or however long when it's he, we don't want him, but he wants to stay, keep playing, um, it's, he's not going to be an MVP anymore. We're not going to be able to get much for him. And so the fighting will ensue. Anyways, I think real quick before we leave, um, I've been forgetting to do this, and uh, that's a big my bad. It's, I didn't abandon it. I just forgot about it. Uh, mock draft of the day. This one is largely unrealistic, but we may as well talk about it because, again, I want to talk about different prospects, and it's still relatively early. People can slide. You never know what happens. But this is via Sports Illustrated, more specifically All Panthers. Um, Shulier Callahan. At 28, uh, Shulier has the Green Bay Packers selecting edge rusher George Karloftis out of Purdue. Karloftis isn't much of a pass rusher, but that is something that can be developed. As good as he is at stopping the run, he could be used as a three-tech in Green Bay's defensive scheme. So again, things can change. Just to be clear, George Karloftis, according to the consensus big board right now, is sitting at ninth overall. So that would be a pretty drastic fall for Mr. George Karloftis. Um... He has technically been falling. As of uh, January 28th, he was ranked 6th. Uh, he went down to 7th and now is settling at 9th. So he is trending downward. That is true. Um, he's gone lower in several mocks. So, you know, 9th to the Broncos, 7th to the to the Giants, 8th to the uh, Falcons, 9th to the Broncos. But he's also been seen, obviously, 28th to the Packers, 21st to the Patriots via Chris Trapasso of CBS, as well as 24th to the Dallas Cowboys, via um, NFL mocks, you know, a um, couple, couple other things, uh, 27th and 21st, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not entirely impossible, and uh, it probably won't pop up very often, so we might as well talk about it while we can. First of all, as far as him not being a good pass rusher, I have no idea what this person is talking about. Has a 90.6 overall pass rush grade, 54 pressures on 335 attempts is a really high Percentage, we're talking about 54, 16%. Now, he only has five sacks, so I have to assume that uh, Mr. or Mrs. Schuler, whatever, I don't know if that's a, I don't I have no idea what that name is. Schuyler, 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 I don't know. That doesn't help. Figuring out that I was saying it wrong doesn't help at all. But anyways, if, if you look at it, it's it's very obvious where they're coming from. It's also possible that they just looked at a couple clips of this guy who is six foot four, two seventy five, and said, "Okay, this is just a big um, lock down the edge type of a player." The fact that he's six four, two seventy five, and it's correct that they're that he is a good run defender, but also has fifty four pressures on three hundred thirty five attempts. Um, again, anything could happen. Maybe he slides, but if he does, I, I would one hundred percent agree that this is the right pick. When you got a guy like Rashawn Gary on the other side, as freakish as that guy is. You get Carl Loftus to just completely buckle down another end. I don't hate that at all. So again, not impossible, too early to be throwing around the that's never going to happen type of talk because you just don't know. Maybe the guy ends up, you know, in a video of him wearing a gas mask full of smoke. I'm never going to let that go. But, you know, stuff can happen and guys can slide down draft boards. So um, again, as of right now, he's not going to make it very far out of the top 10 if he does. But it's something to keep an eye on if he slides. Would this be something the Packers are interested in? Again, a lot of people are kind of anti-going edge because they feel like we're satisfied there. But um, as much as I think you can never have too many pass rushers is a really, really stupid phrase that I wish people would stop saying. You absolutely can. For example, 52 would be too many. 119 would be too many. 74 would be another one that's probably too many. 1,928 would be too many. I think you could probably say that 42 would be too many, or 35 would be too many, or 16 might even be too many, to be completely honest with you. 10 
10 would be too many. Do, do you get my point? It's a stupid saying. Please stop saying it. You can have too many edge rushers. If you want to argue that I'd rather have a really good third guy that spends a little bit of time on the bench than, you know, to not have that person. Okay, I guess that's fine. You know, we, we had, even though they didn't really play at the same time very often, we had four that were quite good. I didn't really have a problem with it. But there's also the, the diminishing returns. Let's say you have three. Is a fourth important? Heck yeah, I would love to have that fourth guy. Not because you can never have too many, because that's a stupid saying that is inaccurate on a very basic level. But there's a diminishing returns because, you know, you have to make a pick. And if you make a pick for an edge rusher, you're not making a pick somewhere else. And so you're, you're not talking about edge, you're talking about edge four. So when you compare, you're not saying what's more important, edge rusher or wide receiver. You're saying what's more important, your fourth edge rusher or a number one or number two wide receiver or a number four cornerback or a number three safety or a number one right guard potentially number one right tackle. How about a number one tight end, right? That's what we're comparing. So I think there's a lot of silliness on, on both sides of this. On one side saying, we have two, that's enough. We're never going to do this. On the other side saying, you can never have too many. Both of those are stupid arguments. We need a little bit more clarity on what the Packers are going to do moving forward, who stays and who goes. And then at that point, um, it's largely going to come down to looking at the Packers board, which we can't see, and comparing that against need, because there's probably going to be a pile of guys that they like. And they're going to pick based on what they think their biggest need is from that pile of, of um, potential people, targets, whatever. Anyways, I'm going to have to call it right there. I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Thursday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>